Well, sometimes I go, I go running around Princess Park, you know, up near Melbourne Uni, Carlton's uh, football ground. Um, and very rarely, but sometimes I get overtaken. But usually I am the one doing the overtaking. You know, in fact, sometimes I get overtaken and then I, I, I take it up a gear. I'm like, all right, I don't think you've got it in you for this whole 3.3k loop. And if you do, I'll just sort of divert my path if you end up being faster than I realise. I take it up a gear. Not straight away, I don't want to be too threatening, but maybe like 30, 45 seconds later, overtake them. You know, if I'm wearing my Embrace t-shirt, I say a little prayer, and I go, I hope they see the t-shirt, make them want to come to church. The problem is, though, when you... You get competitive like that in a public running track. Like everyone's just got their headphones in, minding their own business. They're just running for fitness. But I turn it into a competition. And it gets awkward because I keep wanting to like turn around and like look sideways, like see where I am in comparison to them. But I don't want them to realise that I'm looking over my shoulder. I wonder when you look sideways, when you look over your shoulder, compare yourself to the person next to you. Is it, is it to your, your brother or sister when um, you're thinking about how much you do for the family? I'm so bad with this one. You know, whenever my mum asks me to do something, I'm like, yep, mum, count me in. I would love to help. One question. What's Ashley doing? I always, always struggle with that one. Maybe you compare yourself to your classmates. You know, that age-old question, how did you go? What did you get? You know, maybe it's to your peers, how successful they are. Maybe it's um, your financial situation or your relationship situation or even your spiritual life. Sometimes we compare... Um, ourselves to people in church, how much they do for church or how they serve or, or when or where you serve. It's, this teaching has been something that God has been teaching me about for, for a few years now, um, comparison. And I struggle with comparison so much that I had to... Um, I decided to get off Instagram for six months, about two years ago. I've basically had to be off it ever since because as soon as I get back on, I always, you know, a couple of months later, I'll be like, maybe I'll just re-download. And then before I know it, I'm thick in Instagram stories, just comparing my day to everyone else's day. You know, what's Justin Bieber up to? I guess his house is cooler than mine. Um, yeah, comparison, comparison can be hard. And so I just want to vulnerably share that this is something God's teaching me and, and I think he wants to teach us today too. I want to suggest that instead of looking over our shoulder and comparing, that Jesus wants us to look at others with compassion. That instead of looking sideways, he wants us to look his way, Jesus' way. And I think how we get there is is learning the value of difference in the family of God. That difference and diversity actually runs in the opposite spirit to comparison. 
that Jesus wants to build his church and his mission with different people, with different gifts, with different callings. It's the same Jesus but different disciples going into the world. I actually thought it was really cool today um, how James, he's just so pastoral and wise and he's able to say, look, people have different schedules, people have different lifestyles and we want to work together as a church to serve in in ways that that complement one another for the sake of the world. That's really wise and and here's an example of, I think, what it it means to, to be able to look at others not with comparison but with compassion. So we're in the last chapter of, of John. It's, it's the end. The thing is, this gospel is actually a living, breathing story. And, and this chapter was actually um, not there in the first edition of John. It was like in, John did a second edition of his gospel, um, scholars believe, uh, a re-release, maybe like a 10th anniversary you know, edition with a hardcover or something like that. And he, he added this chapter um, if you read the end of chapter 20, it's a great finish. This is the end of John chapter 20. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Like, you know, Vincent will know what I mean when I say the, um, the, the mallets on the symbols to create a washing, a crash cymbal sound should just come in here and the, the crescendo and the, the credits are cued and fireworks go off and John's Gospel is finished. And yet we then get chapter 21. And so what, what scholars um, suggest, and, and they're pretty much in, in agreement on this, agreement on this, is that John added chapter 21 to help make sense of what was happening in the world at the time. That Jesus' story is intimately linked to our story and to make sense of of Jesus' last words and last actions with his disciples and what that meant for what was then happening, say, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus had left. Um, He he wrote this chapter. And so history tells us that um, Peter... Peter led the church for about three decades and then he was executed in, in Rome. And they wanted to crucify Peter, um, but Peter refused because it would be too honourable to be killed in the same way that Jesus was. He has matured. This is the Peter who gets up to all sorts of mischief and yet he refuses to be be killed like Jesus did, and so he was he was hung on a cross upside down instead. And so some of this chapter points to that. Jesus tells Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Another thing that was happening at uh, in the early church at the time, was that a rumour was going spreading that um, the Apostle John was like a, some kind of immortal, that he wouldn't die. And so John wanted to address that here um, by uh, telling everyone what Jesus said. And he says, because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. That's because of what Jesus said. Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So this chapter tells us 
some of Jesus' final words and final meetings with the disciples. And, and these words and, and, and moments shape the story of the church after Jesus um, leaves to be with the Father. How, how Jesus um, speaks and meets the disciples, particularly Peter, will then influence what the church looks like and what the mission of God is going to look like. It points to the future. So this chapter begins with a miracle. The risen Jesus has some miracle fish already. He's just got these miracle fish on the fire. And yet he chooses to reveal himself to his disciples by participating with them in an, another miracle catch of fish. And Simon Peter is front and centre in the story here. Now, Peter's had quite the story already. You know, he was a fisherman named Simon, but Jesus called him to be a follower of him and, and fish for people. Jesus chose him, gave him a new name. He said, Simon, you'll be called Peter, which means rock, and on you I'll build my church. He says, you're going to be the pastor of the church, Peter. And Peter's like, which church? And Jesus says, the church. It's like, whoa, that's legit. And Peter's a very passionate disciple. He, he often jumps into everything with both feet. Um, in fact, he, he claims at one stage to be like, he's going to be the number one follower of Jesus, the number one ticket holder. And yet when it mattered most, Peter betrayed Jesus three times around a coal fire denied that he even knew him. And so Peter, after this failure, goes back to his old life. He, he goes fishing. And on this night, he can't catch anything. And as the sun's rising, a voice from the shore says, Friends, have you caught anything? And they're like, No. He says, Try the other side. And then, wow, it's him. Another miracle catch. The miracle man, the risen Jesus. And Simon Peter, true to form, he jumps into the water. He jumps into the water and swims to Jesus, which is a silly decision because he's actually um, not wearing any clothes for his fishing job. And yet he puts on clothes to jump in the water to swim to Jesus. Now, when I was doing you know, my um, swim safety training in primary school and learning to tread water, uh, the idea wasn't that you would put extra clothes on um, for, for ocean safety, right? But Peter puts clothes on, jumps into the water. And the other disciples had to drag the, the, the 153 miracle fish they caught. But Peter like, couldn't be stuffed with that. He wants to jump in, swim to Jesus. And then funnily enough, Jesus tells Peter to go back and bring some fish. And so he actually gets sent back um, to the boat anyway. But what happens after that is this stunning conversation. Once again near a coal fire. Once again three times. Jesus reinstates Peter. He's already forgiven Peter, but now he actions, he acts on that forgiveness. He restores and recommissions Peter. How healing to be entrusted with the mission. He entrusts Simon to be Peter. He entrusts Peter to be leader. 
Three times he calls him Simon. He says, Simon, do you love me? Three times Simon Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. This is what it means to be a pastor, actually, to to take care of the flock and to feed them. And so by reinstating Peter, Jesus trusts him and loves him. And he says, in fact, you're going to die for me one day. You'll be dressed and led by someone else. And then he said, he finishes by saying, follow me. Follow me. Follow me is the call that begins your relationship with Christ and it's the call which continues and sustains the relationship. Follow me are Jesus' words of invitation and Jesus' words of pressing on. We begin and we end by following Jesus. We follow him in our our rebirth and we follow him to our death. It's the heart behind all ministry and it's the start of all ministry to follow him. And yet we're all called to different ministries and purposes. Like Some are called to be pastors and teachers, Ephesians says. Others are called to be prophetic or evangelistic. Others are called to be pioneers, which is like what it means to be apostolic. Some are called to write, like John. Some are called to die, like Peter. Some are called to remain. But we're all called to follow him. Like Peter's just had this incredible moment with Jesus around a coal fire, forgiveness, healing, reinstatement. He now knows his God-given purpose and identity. You know, what more could you want? And yet he looks over his shoulder and the first thing he thinks, he's had this little rivalry with the beloved disciple all, all book. And he says, what about him? Is he going to die as well? Like, I'm stoked for Peter here. He's just, like, been given this purpose. He's, you know, he betrayed Jesus around a coal fire. He was then, you know, reconciled and and healed around a coal fire. He's going to go to preach fire at Pentecost. And yet Peter falls for comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. You know, his first question is the same question I have when my mum commissions me to do some task. I say, what about Ashley? Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to live, what is that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. He says, don't look sideways, look my way. You know, if you're always looking sidewards, you'll never look Jesuswards. If you're always looking in your, your side view mirrors, you're going to have a crash because you're not going to be looking forwards, right? It's like when you're learning to drive and you, you read in the booklet, always do a head check. And then you do so many head checks that you like, don't even watch the road, right? You can't always be looking sideways. Your eyes need to be on the road. And Jesus has done so much in our lives, just like he did in Peter's life. I want you to consider your story, who God's made you. What's Jesus called you to? What are the gifts he's given you? What are you good at? What are your interests? What are your passions? What's your personality? What's happened in your story that makes you have something special to offer the world?
We're all part of Jesus' story which goes on, which continues. It continues with a bunch of different disciples. It's the same Jesus but different disciples. So Jesus' mission continues and goes, spreads through all the earth and yet Jesus stays the same. God doesn't change. The 2,000 years of, of mission, of, of the church looking different, yet Jesus doesn't change. The most important question in all of life, the foundational question, is who is God? And John's Gospel has told us who God is. His name is Jesus. He's light and life and love. He heals, reveals, rescues and restores. The next question though, the next important question in life is up for grabs. That question is, is who are you? The first question is who is God? The second question is who am I or who are you? And not everything in your identity is up for grabs, right? Like, if life is a circle, if life is a swimming pool, there are some limitations or barriers to work out where we swim in this, this huge pool called life. But they're beautiful barriers. They're like that you are loved. That is set. You're a child of God. You're made in the image of God. You are of immeasurable worth, value and dignity. But within that pool, you can swim wherever God takes you. As far as purpose and meaning and and calling goes, who knows what God's calling you to do or be? It's like one of the joys of life is is swimming around this this ocean and, and working out who God's made you to be, what he's calling you to do. There's a lot of space to swim. We can be a lemon, a, a banana, a pineapple, a strawberry, an avocado. So many options. So much freedom. You know, John, he became a writer and he finishes his, his gospel talking about about writing. Peter, he became a preacher. He wasn't much of a writer. A lot of people believe that Peter's gospel was um, the gospel of Mark, but he didn't even write it. He got Mark to write it. And if you've read Mark's gospel, it's like fairly dot point. These guys are different. John was, was poetic. You read Revelation. You read this gospel. He was dense. He lived a long time. Maybe he was introverted. He spent a lot of time just on an island in Greece. Peter, he was gung-ho. He was all in. He was diving into the ocean. He, was, he, he died a lot earlier than John. And whether you're a writer, a preacher, a fisherman, you're all followers of Jesus. It's the thing that unites us. You know, we all flow from Jesus. But what flows out of that, that core is, is diverse and different. So Jesus is the centre, he doesn't change, but the fruit can all look so different. You know, we, we were looking at um, John 15 a few, it was about a month or so ago now, and we we're um, saying, you, know, you are the, I'm the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. And he talks about fruit bearing, and we're saying like a strawberry fruit bears um, strawberry plant bears strawberry fruit, like a 
banana tree bears bananas, a Jesus plant bears Jesus fruit. But because Jesus is the creator of all things, a Jesus plant bears Jesus bananas and Jesus strawberries and Jesus lemons and Jesus pineapples. The Bible speaks of us being planned by God, being prepared for a time, being predestined, that God has gone before us. It's like he's got a whole hand of cards. He's got a huge hand of cards and he's been holding your card. He's been holding the Jess card. He's been holding the Rex card. He's been holding the Vivian card since time began. And he's decided this is the moment, this is the time and place that I want to play the Kelly card, that I want to play the Ben card, that I want to play the Pam card. So difference is good. Your personhood who you are, your, your personality, your, your purpose, your approach, the way you think and learn and serve, it doesn't have to be the same as the person next to you. Sometimes it can feel like, oh, there's this one way that we need to learn or there's this one way I need to serve or there's one way I need to be. The one way is Jesus. Follow Jesus and the rest is commentary. You know, God made us male and female. Because he loves difference. God gave us different cultures, ethnicities and languages so that we could all sing his praises together. Because his kingdom is expansive. He actually calls us his body because he he says um, in Corinthians, a body has lots of different parts. You can't just have all legs. You can't just have all torso like me, right? I'm all torso, not much legs. You need all the different parts. God promotes marriage and singleness because there's not just one relational way of being in the world to serve God and and the world. You know the early church, Silicon Valley, the Roman Empire, ancient Athens, all had in common that they had a really diverse population because difference breeds creativity. Difference is good and yet difference is hard because we get familiar. We like things our way. Each of us have turned to our own way. That's what sin is, you know, self-absorption, self-centeredness. If Jesus calls you to die... It's hard not to ask the question, well, Jesus, what about him? You know, really honestly, I, I sometimes wonder, like in the sufferings that I've had in my life, I wonder when it will be my friend's turn. I, sh- I shouldn't think like that. Or I wonder, you know, why don't my friends have the same challenges as me? But it's not being the same which heals it's Jesus who heals and it's actually Jesus who, who brings unity as well. He forgives, he entrusts, he restores and redeems. And he calls me to love him the way he calls me to love him.
So how do we stop comparing? Can we just try really hard and switch off the comparison switch? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's, it's too built in. I believe what we've got to do is follow Jesus. And as we follow him, we're transformed. Our hearts and minds, our perceptions, our values, the way we measure success, they change. And we don't diminish difference like the world wants us to. You know how the world says, like, you know, the way of getting rid of comparison is, well, we're all winners. You know, everyone's a winner. You know, run, run the race and everyone just gets a participation ribbon. I don't think God wants us to, to diminish difference. It's because the kingdom of God is not colour blind, it's colour full. So we can begin to actually love across difference. Like the God who loved the world. That we can see the reality of difference that maybe our friend did beat us on the test. That maybe someone else is more wealthy. That maybe someone else does have a boyfriend and I don't. And we can love them for it. And we can celebrate with them. I think to stop the spirit of comparison eating us up, we don't have to so much stop looking sideways but become so enamoured with looking Jesus' way that when you see the other, you see your sister and your brother, you see them with Jesus' eyes, with Jesus' lenses. And we cheer each other on and encourage one another as the kingdom of God keeps advancing even though we're different in so many ways. You know, society needs us to be the body of Christ in this cultural moment. You know, God gives us difference so we can be salt and light in the world. The world needs people who are good at being different and can work in the space of difference, not to just diminish difference. And so as a community of disciples following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world, In our community, may we love one another, not just in spite of difference, but because of our differences. In our discipleship, may we learn from Jesus by learning from each other. And in our mission, would our different colours be able to spread the mission of God and paint the world with the salt and light of Jesus. Jesus produces the fish. Jesus produces the fruit. He just says, love me, follow me. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, as we finish the Gospel of John, as we come to the end, would we know you, the one who has been revealed to us, the word who became flesh and revealed God to us. Would we keep knowing you? Would we keep growing in knowing you? And would that just continue to shape who we are as beautiful, different individuals who all look like you, smell like you, and in a beautiful myriad of ways? As we begin to explore what it means to be a Christian in the everyday as we move on into book club on Mondays and Gospel in Life on Fridays, would 
we grow into the people you're making us to be in the image and knowledge of you, Jesus. Amen.